Well, people brag about strange things. One of the weirdest ways people brag is what has now been called a humble brag. Are you familiar with, with that term? Seeing the Twitter handle, humble brag? The phrase, it was coined by some of the writers of the TV show Parks and Rec. And here's how they defined what a humble brag is. An ostensibly modest or self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something of which one is proud. In other words, it's, it's a sneaky way to brag, but you sound humble. So it's, it's like this. It's like saying, gosh, I'm just so exhausted after my, my two weeks in Fiji. Oh, sorry for you. It sounds rough. It sounds hard, right? Or, or how about this one? That, that life, life has just gotten so complicated after my huge raise at work. It sounds like it. As a parent, I, I love this one. Um, you know, I, I'm just afraid my kids aren't being challenged enough. Right? We've, we've met your kids. That's not the problem. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it sounds humble, but really it's, it's bragging. That's what a humble brag is. And, and I, I know I'm as guilty as anyone else, but what I love about this idea of the humble brag is, is you and I, human beings, we love talking about ourselves so much, we literally invent new ways to self-promote. Humble brag. Sound humble, but actually be promoting yourself. So in 2012, a couple of, of Harvard's neuroscientists discovered that talking about ourselves triggers the same pleasure centers in our brain that food and sex do. Right? But like we needed a study to tell us that. That we all have the same problem or a similar problem to what one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, points out. So let's watch this clip. I love that question. Right? What is it about the human condition that we get something out of that. Right, why do we love talking about ourselves so much? Boasting in ourselves as better than others, right? Everyone else is there and I'm here. At least I hope you guys do the same thing. Because if not, this is going to be a weird sermon. Um, and yet you and I, we boast because we were made to boast. I realize that's probably the last thing you might expect a pastor to say. right? Boasting is supposed to be bad, something that we should be condemned for, but our problem isn't that we're boasting, it's that we're boasting in the wrong things. Now, I can't speak for you, but, but I boast to impress, to show others how great I am, that I want them to think that I'm, I'm far, smart or I'm, I'm funny, or that I'm interesting, right? that I, I'm, I'm a good husband, a good dad, that I'm good at my job. And so everything I say lifts me up, tries to make me look good. And my guess is that's, that's largely why you would boast, Right, or why we boast about our kids, our jobs, our money. To show that we're in. Right, to show that we're better. To show that we're good. So we boast in, in things that we think make us look good. And that's our problem. Because if that's your boast, if your boast is ultimately in something in yourself, if, if what you find joy in is, is pointing to what's good in you, it's, it's hard because eventually whatever's good in you isn't going to be good. Right, if you boast in your job, someday you might, you might lose your job. Or work might get really difficult at some point. If you boast in, in your kids, at some point they're going to enter a difficult phase. And it's just going to be hard. If you boast in, in your possessions, what you have money-wise, that can go away in, in an instant. If you boast in what's good, it's, it's exhausting because you, at some point, you're, you're going to lose it. Or it's, I think what's even worse is that we boast... In a way that we have to keep our appearances good in front of others. Right? We have to present what we want them to see in us. And so we can't really let people into our lives. What's hard or what's broken 
Because we have to show them what's good. We have to boast. And behind our boasting is brokenness, but we can't let people see it. And you and I, we need a way out of that. Another way to boast. And that's exactly what Paul is saying to these Christians in this ancient city of Corinth. That they had the same problem you and I have. They thought, like, like many Christians wrongly think, that because they had become Christians, because they, they were now seemingly better than other people, which they really weren't, they looked down on others. They were prideful. They were dismissive. They were arrogant. They saw themselves as extra spiritual, extra special, and they were boasting. They were what religious people, like me, often are. Prideful because they considered themselves better than others. They consider themselves superior. And whether you're a Christian or not, we all do this. We all boast in ourselves because we were meant to boast. But if you're a Christian, or, or even if you're not, I hope we see that in this text, Paul is pointing us towards a fundamentally different way to boast. That for Christians, our boast is in the fact that, that we know the only way in is to know you're out. That's our boast. The only way in is to know you're out. To know that there's nothing in and of myself that I should be boasting in. The Christians, we know, if, if anyone saw our full resume, we'd be out. The only way to be in, to be, to boast truly, is to know that, that you're out. And so let's look at Paul and what he's writing here in this letter to, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians under those headings, under these headings, why you have to know you're out, why it's the worst news that you'll hear, and why it's the best news you'll hear. All right, so why you have to know that, that you're out. The Paul begins here in 1 Corinthians by doing what a lot of people do, um, dividing the world into those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And I hope you caught that in, in verse 18 when Sarah Beth read it for us, but hear, hear it again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? And, and most people, that, that's what they do. They divide the world between those who are saved, those who are perishing. Right? The good people are saved, the bad people are perishing, which is why the good people often look down on the bad people, or the saved often look down on the perishing. But Paul is actually saying the exact opposite of that. That Paul breaks down the perishing into two groups of people. He, he refers to them as the Jews and, and the Greeks. But I think we can broaden those categories out to just mean the, the wise, the educated, and the religious. That Paul first speaks to Jews who are religious people. And I think if you are religious, I think this critique falls on, on anyone who would be religious. And here's what Paul says to them. He says, for Jews, the religious, they demand signs. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. To Jews. What, what, is, what does Paul mean that that was a stumbling block? Well, you have to, to kind of know the context here, which is that when Jesus came, he came to, uh, to, to Israel when they were being ruled by the Romans. And the Romans were actually sort of an oppressive, unjust, unkind um, authority. And you didn't want to be ruled by them, which is why most Jews in that day thought that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would overthrow the Romans, and God's people could, could be free and could, uh, could, could actually see God's people ruling. That was their hope. And, and Jesus, certainly as the Son of God, had every power at his disposal to do that. And yet the exact opposite happened. The Romans actually crucified Jesus. And Jesus lost at the hands of the Romans. And so 
That's why it was hard for Jews to believe that Jesus really was the Messiah. Because to worship Jesus, it meant you had to, to worship a defeated, crucified Messiah. It meant you had to join the losing team. It was a stumbling block. And it's not just a problem for them. I think it's a problem for, for all of us. At least it's a problem for me. That I often want my political position to win. Not because I really care about justice or the voice of the poor, but because I just want to be proven right. I want my team in power running things. Right? Or if I get in a debate with someone, what I really care about is that they see that I'm right and they're wrong. That I, I, I'm vindicated, that I'm proven right. That's what I often care about more than anything. And yet God, through Jesus, did not work like that. And if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you should be free of this need to be proven right, to be vindicated, for your team to be in control. Because Jesus came and lost. And that's how he saved me. And I know he's, he's vindicated through the resurrection, all of that. And yet, even after he was resurrected, he didn't throw the Romans out. They stayed in power. Jesus lost so that we could win, so that we could enter into that life. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. But why? Why would God save like that? Well, before we answer that question, we have to, to press into the next group Paul speaks to, which is, is the Greeks, which would have been the educated and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in that day. And, and Paul sort of speaks to that, right? That the Greeks, they seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, folly to the Gentiles. That the reason it, it, was, it was folly was because in that day, the Greeks, they loved wisdom, they loved education, they loved debates and rhetoric, and they wanted perfect airtight arguments, Right, perfect logic to show the truth of a, of a position. And yet there's nothing more illogical or a, a worse argument than a cross. That in that, that day, that culture, to even mention the cross in company was considered offensive, impolite, shameful, foolish. You didn't talk about it. It was, it was so embarrassing, you didn't bring it up. And yet if you were a Christian trying to convince a Greek of the truth of the gospel, you had to go right to the cross. It was foolishness to them, folly. That the Christian message is centered on something that they would have found deeply offensive. That the wisdom of God is, that the foolishness of God, it's, it's wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. But it begs the question, right? Still, why would God save like this? Why would he come in weakness, in shame, to lose? Well, before we answer that question, we have to, to press into the fact that why the, the cross should be offensive to us as Americans. That it really should offend our deepest sensibilities. That, that if, if you're American, there's just some very anti-American things in, in the cross. That, that two things come to mind for me. The one, we're offended by the fact that God had to die for us. We should be, at least. And this week, we had some friends over for dinner, and... It had been a long day for me and, and a long day for my wife. We have two boys at home, three and one, and so it's just kind of chaotic um, all day, um, all the time. And, and we just had a huge, I mean, it was like dishes fest, dirty dishes fest all over our kitchen um, after dinner was over. And so one of our, our friends got up and started doing our, our dishes for us. And at first, I was just, it was a huge relief, and I was really thankful, like, oh, good, I'm not going to do that later. Um, and then I, then I started thinking, wait a minute, don't do that. We can do that. You sit down. I don't need your help. Right? And if I'm, if I'm too prideful for someone to wash my dishes for me, what does it say about me that Jesus, Jesus had to die for me? 
I mean, if, if I'm so weak, I, I can't even enter into a moment where, where I want someone else to do my dishes for me. What does it say that, that Jesus had to give his life up for me? I mean, how weak does Jesus think I am? I mean, that's one reason, right? I know you've probably all had that moment. Someone's helping you, and you're like, don't help me. I don't, I don't need that help. And yet the cross is, is, is evident. You, you do need God's help. So we're offended at the cross, first, because God had to die for us, and second, because salvation has to be a free gift. But that we're, as Americans, right, we're do-it-yourselves, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, just work hard, and all of that's really great stuff. But when it comes to the cross... In the city of Corinth, it was much like us as an American context. If you had made it in that culture, you had done it by starting a business, getting your own wealth. You hadn't inherited it. That Corinth was a new city, a new place for people to go and, and make their life. And so Paul looks at them and says to them what he would say to us too. That you can't earn this. You can't earn your way into this kingdom. That the only way in is to know you're out. That you can't do it. That the only way to be saved is to receive help. How weak does Jesus think we are? But do you see, I hope, why, why God had to save us like this? In a way that was offensive. In a way that was foolish. In a way that was shameful. Because salvation can only come to those who know they're out. That salvation can only come to those who know they don't have anything to boast in in themselves. And only a crucified Messiah is going to show that about ourselves. Or that if, if you want to know God, you have to know him at the cross. To know your limitations. To know your weakness. To know God at the cross means to know him in a way where you can't boast. And yet that's, that cuts against how you and I function, right? I mean, we boast in what we think is good in ourselves. We boast in our jobs, in our money, in our wisdom, how smart we are. And yet at the cross, all of those boasts are worthless. They can't help. It doesn't work with God. Because God sees our full resume. He sees it all. That we can hide things from other people, right? We can, we can get them to see what we want them to see, but we can't do that with God. He sees the whole picture. And yeah, I think that's even why we keep boasting, right? We keep boasting because we know we need to overcome, right? We, we know we're not as great as we think that we are. I mean, that's, that's at least maybe why I have to keep boasting is it's, it's obvious to me how great I am, but, but other people don't see it yet. And so I have to keep telling them, keep boasting until they see. So all, all of our boasting, all it shows is we know we're out. We know we don't measure up. And yet that's the way in for Jesus, to know you're out. And I realize that's probably the, the most discouraging, the worst news that you could, you could want to hear. And so that's where Paul goes next. And and what Paul says in verse 26 is, again, it's hard words to take in. It's, it's really kind of our definition or our picture as who we are as Christians. And this is what he says to these Corinthians. And he would say to us, if you're a Christian, this is true of you as well. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And that Paul is, he's speaking to Christians here, and he's sort of laying out what qualified them to be Christians. And did you hear what he said to them, which would be as true for us as it, as it was for them, right? 
They're Christians because God chose what is foolish in the world, what is weak, what is low, despised. That's not encouraging news, right? It's the worst news probably you could hear, that that is how they got into the kingdom, because they were all those things. Now, it's important not to misunderstand what Paul's saying here. Right? He's not saying the Christians are the most terrible, awful human beings, the poorest, the dumbest, all that. And that's why God picked. No, it's not, it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you, you cannot boast in yourself if you're a Christian. You have to stop boasting in yourself. And if you've come into the kingdom, right, if you, if you want to follow Jesus, you can't boast in, in yourself. Which is hard for us to hear, those of us, at least like me, that like to, to promote ourselves, that like to talk or boast in ourselves. Paul says it doesn't work. You can't do it. These Corinthians, they think they're Christians because they're unique or they're special. Or because they're more gifted than others. And yet Paul says to them clearly here that they are not Christians because of their resume. They're Christians in spite of their resume. They're not Christians because they're more gifted or more special or more unique. They're gifted because God came into everything they were not and filled them into something they could be. Even though they were low, despised, weak, God made them into his people. That's the resume. And that's not a resume you can boast in of yourself. Right? It's the best news and the worst news that you could hear. It's the worst news because it means you have to stop boasting in earthly things. Right? It means you have to stop thinking those things make you better or more significant. Right? Paul here, he's riffing on an Old Testament passage in the book, from the book of Jeremiah. And there, God was speaking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And again, similarly, they thought they had arrived. They thought they were special. They thought they were unique. They were boasting in themselves. And God was tired of it. And so he spoke in through the prophet Jeremiah and, and said, said this. Said, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. I read through this list and I think that's everything I boast in. Probably you might feel the same, right? That let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. We boast in how smart we think we are. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Right? We boast in, in power, security, being in places of authority. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. We boast in our, our possessions, our money, what we have. And Paul is, from Jeremiah through 1 Corinthians 1, saying something we don't want to hear, right? That God is not interested in your resume. Right? And that we're always giving it to others, wanting them to see how great or unique or special we are. We're boasting about ourselves, and yet Paul says God has no interest in that. That you'll never become a Christian because of your resume. You'll never follow Jesus well enough to earn your place. You can't. That you'll never be a Christian because of your resume. You'll always be a Christian in spite of it. That God, he, he sees who we really are. Right? Our foolishness. The really bad decisions that you, that, that I make. He sees our weakness, right? The fact that you and I, to, to change our lives truly is often just a huge struggle. God sees our whole picture and yet still enters in, comes for us. But the only way to be in is to know you're out. And it's hard news to take in because it means you have to stop boasting in yourself. But it's also, if you hear it, if you take it in, it's the best news that you could hear.
that Paul, um, from here, will go and start talking about actually what we should boast in. And I don't want you to, to misunderstand what Paul is saying here. That some Christians, I think, have read this or begun to interpret this as, you know, Christians should be on a continual downer trip, right? Woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm pathetic, I'm a horrible sinner that God saved, and, and just thank God. I mean, that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying we have to be depressed about who we are or ourselves. He's actually saying, no, you can still boast. You're just going to boast in something else. You're going to boast in something different. And that's what he drives all, he drives all of this to verse 31, right? He, he talks about, listen, this is who you were. You were low, you were despised, but God saved you, right? And because of him, because of God, you were in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's why it's the best news. It doesn't mean you and I stop boasting. It just means we change our boast to, to God, that's where our boast becomes. That's where our boast goes. That we stop boasting in ourselves, we begin boasting in God. And yeah, right, what's, what's the difference? How do we know when we're boasting in ourselves versus really truly boasting after God? Now, let me give you two thoughts, two diagnostics to kind of know when you're sort of falling into the, you're boasting in yourself as opposed to, to boasting in God. Because I, one thing I hope you don't hear is that you can never accept a compliment or, or never think that you do something well. It's not at all what Paul's saying. But there is a difference between boasting in yourself and boasting in God. And one of the ways you know you're boasting in yourself is that boasting in yourself, it will always reveal pride. It will always show, it will always bubble up from a place of pride. That Paul is writing this chapter because the Corinthians are filled with pride. They think they're unique, they're more gifted, they're special, they're better than others. And so he writes this chapter to try and get them to stop thinking that. And if you're boasting in yourself, you will have pride, you will look down on others. And this is what it looks like for me, right? If, if things are going well for me during the week as a parent, my, my kids are behaving well and things are, 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 are going the way that they're supposed to go, at least the way I think they should go. Um, and I look at another parent and their kid is just flying off the handle. They're smearing poop on the wall. They're screaming at the grocery store. It's just falling apart, right? My thought is, what's wrong with them? Maybe I should give them classes or something, you know, preach on it. Right? That's why it's pride. I'm better than them. Right? Or, or it's when my job is going well and I don't have conflict at work and I'm just loving what I'm doing and someone sits across from me and they're frustrated, they're disappointed, they're dealing with conflict with coworkers or a boss and I just start thinking, what's, I'm doing okay, what's their problem? Right? It's any time you begin to think, I'm here, or they're, they're here and, and I'm here. And if they just came up here like me, it'd be all right. It's one way, one sign to know that you're boasting in yourself. It'll reveal pride. But if you're a Christian, right, you don't have time for pride because you're, you're too busy being surprised. I mean, if you're a Christian, you should be continually surprised that Jesus saved even me. Right? And the fact that he saved even me should never stop surprising me. Right? Because if, if God picked his team the way you and I pick our teams, I can tell you who wouldn't have been picked was me. And yet, for whatever reason, God entered into my life, saved me, gave me a new future, a new life. And that fact should continually surprise me. Never be a place of pride, but always just be a place of even me. Yeah. Which also means I can never look down on, on anyone else, right? That, that if even me, if even I could become a Christian, then who can't? Who can't? Boasting, if, if you're boasting in yourself, it'll always reveal pride. That you're better, or think you're better than others. But the second... Second way to kind of know that the boasting in yourself, that you are boasting in yourself, is it boasting in yourself only works when life goes well. And here's the problem. Life often does not go well. 
right? Job gets hard or you lose it. Kids begin to frustrate and just enter a difficult phase of life. Right, that, that, that financial times just get hard. The, 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 the income isn't coming in like it once was. And if you boast in yourself, there will be long periods of your life when most likely you won't have much to boast in. It'll take your joy. It'll take your happiness. It will take your pleasure. But if you boast in Jesus, your boast doesn't end. It's not contingent. You don't have to keep up your resume for others. And so if you're broken, you can just heal. If you're sad, you can just weep. If you're filled with joy, you can just laugh. If you're tired, you can just sleep. You can just take life as it comes. You don't have to show other people that you are great, you're awesome. It's all together. You don't have to do that anymore because your boast isn't in yourself and it never goes away. It gives you a steadiness and a peace from which to live life if you're boasting in Jesus. If you've experienced that, you know you're boasting in Jesus and not yourself. And so, I know I'm biased, but... This idea, this thought that we all are, should be boasting and should be boasting in Jesus is the one reason why I think every person should be a Christian. And again, I, I, know, I know I'm biased, but, but we were all meant to boast. We're going to keep boasting in something. That's why we keep talking about ourselves. It's why we keep boasting. It's why we can't stop. And the thought of religious people boasting, I know, it, it's, at least to me, it's troubling. Right? It often leads to a place of pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. And Paul agrees with that, that warning, which is why he drives all of them not to boast in themselves, but to boast in Jesus. Not to boast in our power, in our wisdom, in our strength, but in him, in him alone. And to boast in Jesus, it's the best way to boast. It's the only way to boast, really, for, for a lot of reasons, but let me give you two. The one, our boast gets better when life gets worse. And two, that, that anyone, anyone can boast in Jesus. But if you boast in Jesus, your life, your boast gets better as, as life gets worse. Right? That Paul, after he finishes this really moving session, section about the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God, how God saved us, that we're to boast in Jesus and Jesus alone, he then goes to kind of some, some autobiography of, of his own life, right, in verses 2, 1 through 5. And what he begins to talk about is how he first came to this city in Corinth. That before he came to Corinth, he, he first went into the area to a city called Philippi. And there, Paul was arrested dragged before court, beaten and imprisoned, finally driven out of town. From there he went to Thessalonica, where this time at least he wasn't arrested, but his friends were, other Christians in the town were arrested, dragged before court, and Paul and his companions had to flee again. And then they ended up in Athens, where Paul ends up speaking to this group of, of wise philosophers in the city of Athens, and when he finishes talking, they mock him. That's why Paul says in verse 3, I came to you, in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. He came in a place of life that was terrible. His life had gotten worse. And yet verses 4 and 5 make it clear. His, his, his life had gotten worse, but his boast didn't change. Because even though he came in weakness, and fear, and trembling, he came and spoke in words, not implausible words of wisdom. He wasn't brilliant, but he spoke in demonstration of the spirits and power. That your faith, the Corinthians, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now for Paul, as his life got worse, his boast got better. And that means that you and I can experience the same thing. Because let me just share this encouraging thought um, with you this morning. That your life is going to get worse. 
Right, for some of you, this may be the best day of the rest of your life. It just may be downhill from here. Right, and yet, if your boast is in Jesus, your boast will not change. In fact, it will only get better. That like Paul, even though he was imprisoned, beaten, mocked, his life thrown apart, he says, I came to you in demonstration of the spirit of wisdom. I came to you in, in power. And Paul planted lots more churches after this moment. And Corinth became a church because God used Paul, even though he was weak and trembling and fearful. So even though our life will get worse, if your boast is in Jesus, it will get better. Your boast will get better. But secondly, and I think more importantly, if your boast is in Jesus, it means anyone can boast. And I confess, I'm still stuck as to why God would choose to save this way. Right? God would go through a cross, a way that, that's offensive and shameful and, and weak and foolish. Why would God do that? And yet, I think, I think I began to see a little bit more clearly why God had to do that, that this week. Now, not, not too long ago, I was, I was in a room full of, of just very successful, wealthy business people. And, and most of my life, I've spent more in blue-collar, rural type of areas. So I was just totally out of my element in that space. And I, I don't think I'm humble bragging here. Uh, maybe I am. I, I don't think I am, and I repent if, if I am. But, but, I mean, they ran, they ran businesses that I knew the names of, um, right? And, and they had more money invested in their suits than I had in, in both of my cars. And I just felt out of place. Intimidated, just overwhelmed, completely uncomfortable, not knowing what to say or how to interact, just wanted out of that space. And someone was kind of helping me process that feeling this week, and, and she pointed out to me sort of something that helped me see, I think, what Paul is driving at here. And imagine Jesus came as the most brilliant philosopher that ever lived. And he came and he taught, and everyone loved him. And he was so brilliant that the, the powers that be lifted him up. Gave him the best teaching job at the best university. And you hear about this Jesus. You go to talk to him. And you walk up all the steps up to his office. You sit down across from him at his desk. All his books surrounding you. And you're there to talk to him. How would you feel? What would you say? Or let's say Jesus came in total power. right? And he came with his armies. And he defeated every enemy that was, that was in his way. And defeated everything that, that, was, that was evil or bad. And so, so he wins, he's victorious, and you, you hear about him, and you go to speak to him. And you, to speak to him, you have to walk past all of his army, all of their weapons, to get to the throne where he sat. When you got there, what would you say? How would you feel? I'll tell you how I would feel. Probably much like I felt in that room, out of place, overwhelmed, unworthy. And yet, let's say Jesus instead, he came as an infant child born to a single mom. To a despised minority in a backwaters town that no one had heard of. That he spent most of his life in obscurity until finally he came at 30, began teaching, and he was brilliant, but the powers that be hated him and put him on a cross to make an example of him. In foolishness, in shame, to shame him, to, to, to show this is not someone you can trust. And yet, in that act on that cross... He undid everything that was wrong in me, that was wrong in you, and came out of the grave three days later. Say you went and talked to that Jesus. I feel like I can talk to that Jesus. He can understand where I'm at. I can speak to him. He's not, even though he's God and everything that I'm not, I can know him. You and I, we need a savior who is weak because we are weak. We need a Savior who was despised because you and I will go through moments of our lives where we'll be despised. 
that we needed a Savior who is powerless because you and I will have moments when we, we just feel like we can't change anything about the world we live in. And Jesus came like that so that we could know a God who's like us. Which also means that, that anyone, anyone can boast in this Jesus. There's no one too low for a cross. There's no one too low to go and kneel at a cross and find help there. You can't ruin your life enough for a cross to be irrelevant to you. And if that's true, right, it means the only way you can come in is to know you're out. And that's the very reason Jesus was cast out onto a cross so that he could bring all of us in.